when God's people arrived in the promised land, eventually David became king. And David gathered people from the north and the south and made one kingdom. And King David took the city of Jerusalem and began to call it the city of David. And the people lived and dwelled there, but there was something missing. It was the ark. And so David sent his army to go and get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. And when it came through the great high gate of the city, David danced before it. And they put the tent of meeting over it, as they had done when they traveled through the desert and through the wilderness. Now, King David wanted to build a house for God, but God said, no. David was a man of war, and so God said that it would be his son Solomon that built the house. When Solomon became king, he began construction of the temple, and everyone had to help build it. Workers were sent to Lebanon to cut down huge cypress trees, and others were sent to the mountains to quarry the stone. And so the temple began to grow and to grow and to grow. And inside of the temple, they made the Holy of Holies, an inner sanctuary where only the priests would go on the high holy day, the Day of Atonement, once per year, as they had done in the desert. And they used the same things they had used in the wilderness to come close to God. They had the incense burner so that fragrant smoke could rise and the branched lampstand, and the table with bread for each of the 12 tribes. And they also had a basin of water for washing. It was much bigger than the one that they carried through the desert, and an altar. And when the priests brought the ark into the finished temple, and into the Holy of Holies, a divine light glowed because God's presence was there. And so Solomon dedicated the temple to God in prayer. He said, God, there is no one in heaven above or earth below like you. God, you are faithful. God, your love never ends. So how can we contain you in this house, God? May this temple be a place of justice and prayer. Solomon ruled a long time and was known for his wisdom. Some said he might have been the wisest person in the world. And David, his father, was also famous, known for his war and his songs. Thanks be to God for God's holy word, for the things 
to get ready to come close to God. For the ark, which held the ten best ways to live, and for the great temple of Jerusalem. Now, the young people in this room know something that the adults may not know. This way of telling stories with sand and beautiful objects, stories that invite us to wonder together about God and God in our world, this is called godly play. And godly play is our core curriculum for preschool through second graders. And the young people know that if you're hearing this story for the first time or the 100th time, that every time you hear it, a new insight or a new connection emerges. And our Sunday school teachers know something as well. They know that the, this way of teaching is a way for the stories of God to begin to dwell deep in our hearts, deep in our bones. When you know the godly play stories, the words come to mind often, inviting you to wonder about life and God in a new way. And so this is why Katie and I have chosen to share godly play stories with you during this sermon series in August about finding God in the unknown and the unexpected. So young people, you can follow along with me today if you listen for a few things. Listen for two kings, a desert, a house, a question, and a prophet. So let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you may have heard, the desert, the wilderness, is a wild and dangerous place. People usually don't go into the desert or the wilderness unless they have to. Once you've heard the stories of the people of God in the wilderness, the stories of Abraham and Sarah and Miriam and Moses, you won't be able to take a wilderness trip without recalling these words. I learned this firsthand when my family got off a little off trail on a hiking trip through the desert of Arches National Park. People don't go into the desert unless you have to. But most of us will enter the desert at some point or a metaphorical wilderness of hurt or loss Today in the world, there are more refugees than at any time in human history, so many of us will undergo a migration in our lifetime, and others of us will befriend the immigrant neighbor. And if you've heard these sacred stories, when you come through the wilderness to places of welcome and safety, to the holy places, to the church buildings, and to the forest cathedrals, you might remember the words that we say at the beginning of chapel, you can say them with me. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And maybe you've been to Jerusalem, to the place where the temple was built. If you go there today, you will see the foundations of the second temple, which was rebuilt after Solomon's temple was destroyed. And then that second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD after Jesus lived. And on that site today is the Dome of the Rock. It's a mosque. This Temple Mount is a sacred place for Jews and Muslims and Christians. 
This is God's house, and God is here today. In our sanctuary, you will see reminders of this ancient temple in the architecture and the furnishings. If you look around with your eyes, you might spy a cherubim or an angel, a carving that reminds us of God's throne on top of the ark. And you might notice that we also have candles to help us to come close to God in this place. And I think there are other reminders too. So kids, if you see other reminders of the temple in this space today, come and find me after church. I would love to see and hear about what you found. We have been traveling through the stories of Genesis and Exodus in the Old Testament during August. And in these ancient texts, God's people traveled out of slavery and into freedom. It took a long time in the desert to get to a place where they could grow food and find water. And it look, took a long time for the kingdom to be united by King David. And when David wanted to build a house for God, God said, no, Solomon will build it. And you will find this part of the story of the people of God in the book of 1 Kings. When it was finished, Solomon said a prayer, a long prayer, that said at least two important things. First, Solomon said, there is nothing greater than God in heaven above or in earth below. God, you are faithful. God, you are here. But since you are so great, how could this house we've built for you contain you? When we come into our sacred spaces like this church building, beauty points us to God's presence. But as our Confirmands just told us God isn't only here in this building. God is always and everywhere with us. God is in the work meeting and the classroom, the carpool lane and the lunchroom. God is on the court and on the field and in the pool and on the course. Solomon remembered what his ancestors Abraham and Sarah had learned. All of God is in every place. So friends, as you begin this school year, pay attention to joy and love and peace and life, and you will remember something that it is easy to forget. God is not just here in this beautiful space, but everywhere. God goes with us. Solomon also said that God will listen to the prayers of his people in this temple, and it will be a place of justice. Throughout the Bible, God's justice is measured by how well the community takes care of the vulnerable and the morals and ethics that we live by. A few years ago, a friend of mine and her daughter who go to a school, probably a lot like some of your schools, um, noticed something. They noticed that some of the kids who received their lunch from the school received them in paper bags. Now, this was a good thing that everybody was getting lunch. But my friend and her daughter noticed something else. They noticed that only the kids who got their lunch from school got them in paper bags, and sometimes that made the kids who got their lunches that way a little bit uncomfortable. Everyone else had a reusable lunchbox that they picked out on the first day of school, and they got to get it from the store and bring it every day. So the kids with paper bags felt a little bit different. So my friend and her daughter figured out something to do. They went to the store and they got a bunch of lunch boxes and they let the children who got their lunches from the school choose them. And so everyone had lunch, everyone felt like they belonged, and the school produced less trash. This seems like a pretty good starting point for a definition of justice. Care for God's creation, everyone belongs, 
Everyone has what they need. It's not always so easy to know what God wants us to do, how to love God and to love neighbor. It's not easy now, and it was not easy in King Solomon's time a long time ago. But prophets are people who come so close to God, and God comes so close to them that they know what to do or to say. Micah was a prophet. He lived in the time when Solomon's temple was still standing. And he told the people that what God wants most isn't fancy symbols and offerings. Micah told them to the, an- the answer to a question that many of us ask, what does the Lord require? And Micah's answer was, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. In a moment, we will bless all of our students, our parents, administrators, and teachers on this first week back to school, and we will bless the 40 parents and leaders who have said yes to teaching Sunday school this year. Students and teachers, we have a sticker for you to put on your laptop or your water bottle as you go into your schools or your workplaces. When you walk through the wilderness places and in the holy spaces, you will be reminded that God is here and God is there. God is everywhere. And when you wonder what to do, how to act, how to be at home or at school, I pray that the prophet's words will dwell in your hearts and rise to your lips. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God.